0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Divorced Girls Smiling podcast. My name is Jackie Pilisoff. I'm your host. I'm the founder of Divorced Girl Smiling, which is the company that connects people facing divorce with trusted, vetted divorce professionals. We're also a podcast, a website, a mobile app, and I offer the free consult. Before we get started, I wanna take a minute to recommend divorce coach, Sherry Morris. Sherry is an attorney turned divorce coach. She's the founder of her practice, Dear Divorce Coach, and I think Sherry is wonderful. She will work with you before, during, or after your divorce to provide tools for your post-divorce life success. She teaches people how to communicate better, how to co-parent better, how to engage in self-care, how to organize yourself, and of course, how to change your mindset and set your focus for the future. If you want to learn more about Sherry, you can find her at deardivorcecoach.com or in the Trusted Professional section of Divorced Girls Smiling. So most people know what a trial is, but they think of like a criminal trial or a trial they see on like a TV show. You know, right now I happen to be watching Lincoln Lawyer, and so there's lots of trials in the show, and you know, that's what most people think of. But when you're getting divorced and you think that it's a possibility that you might have to go to trial That's a different story, and then it's not so funny. It's scary and can be intimidating, and most people don't think about divorce in the sense of you're going to go to trial, but it does happen, and that's what I want to talk about today, what to expect in a divorce trial. And to talk about it, I have Turner Thornton, who is a partner at Varghese Somerset Family Law Group a Fort Worth, Texas-based law firm that is really well-respected and well-known. And hi, Turner.
1: Hey, Jackie. Good to see you and happy to be back on.
0: Oh, well, it's always nice to have you on here. And I love the article you wrote about what to expect in a divorce trial. Now, I want to tell my listeners, Turner wrote the article called What to Expect in a Divorce Trial in Texas. But there's a lot of things that we're going to talk about that are pretty universal in every state. But of course, we just want to let you know that every state has different laws and it's going to be a little bit different in every state. But Turner, do you agree with me that when people are getting divorced and they think they're headed they're in litigation and they might be headed for a trial isn't it just terrifying to them because they're like wait a minute what there's a trial and divorce
1: absolutely you know I don't want to go through a bunch of horror stories but the reality of the divorce litigation process is trial is our goalpost. it's the very end of the process a lot of potentially smaller hearings have happened up to that point potential settlement negotiations have happened and have been unsuccessful. And now we're at the tail end of the process where you're putting all of your eggs in one basket. And that basket is a total stranger who may not know you at all, who's going to decide effectively how your life is going to be from that point forward, inclusive of both what stuff you get to keep, what things you may need to sell. And most importantly, what kind of possession and access you're going to have with your kiddos if you have children. So Trial is a very scary part of the process, and unfortunately for a lot of folks, uh, an inevitability.
0: When you say a lot of folks, like what's the percentage of divorce cases that go to trial?
1: <laughs> Thankfully, nowadays, not as much as it once was. Um, i say, individually speaking, just on my own uh, caseload, I'd probably say anywhere between zero to 5%. It's actually very, very few And the reason being is you lose effectively all control you have over your case. You're putting it uh, both in your lawyer's hands and then in the judge's hands, which most folks don't want to deal with. They would rather have a little bit of control over what happens. Unfortunately, and I'll speak specifically to Texas, it's a one party consent state for a divorce. So even if you're proposing something that's a great deal, if your spouse says no, they get to have their day in court, whether you like it or you don't.
0: Now, what are the reasons a divorce would result in a trial?
1: Well, I'm going to kind of break up the question a little bit, if that's okay. The the number one thing that I see that results in a final trial more often than not is kiddos. And more specifically, what time parent A gets versus what time parent B gets. You know, money is money. It ultimately just becomes a math equation. And whether or not you're happy with it kind of remains in the eye of the beholder but everyone is more often than not most passionate about their kids and maximizing the amount of time that they have with them. So even if you go through the settlement process or even if you have multiple temporary hearings, which here in Texas just kind of give you rules to live under while your case is pending, if you've gone through that process and still have been unable to settle because you're not happy with the schedule you're getting, your last resort is to throw that to the district judge here in Texas who handles final trials to decide whether or not you're going to get more time with your child or not.
0: That is so scary to me that a judge can do make that decision for somebody. But I think you're right. When people get divorced, yeah, money and assets in the house, and that's all important, but people get really upset and they want their time with the kids. And so I was when I asked you the question, what I was really wanting to know is like, do you see more trials from people who have like emotional issues, maybe substance abuse, maybe somebody who's like not reasonable? What do you think?
1: I think it's probably a combination of all of those issues, but if I were to put a number one source of trial motivation, it would be possession and access. Here in Texas, we don't have what most people term 50-50 custody. The legislator here in Texas put the rules in place that determine what is, quote, in the best interest of the child. That, in most folks' eyes, is different. uh, But in the state's eyes, that means that one parent, more often than not, has more time than the other. That can be a very tough pill to swallow. And if you don't have the ability to see your child or children, at least as much as the other parent, it may be worth it to that person to throw it to a judge to see if they can change what's happening now or potentially create a better future for them and their children. And at least in my experience here in Texas, we're, we're getting closer and closer to that 50-50 threshold, but it hasn't yet happened. And it can be really tough for folks to swallow, say, Hey, you know, I understand I have what we call an expanded possession schedule, which I won't bore you with the details, but it's roughly 47, almost 48% of the time with the kiddos, but I'm still having to pay guideline child support, which could be between 20 and 40% of my net monthly income. That's crazy, right? You're spending three less weeks over an entire year, but you still have to pay thousands of dollars a month, potentially in child support that can be really, really tough for folks to swallow. So when you kind of piggyback the child support issue with wanting to get more time with your children, you end up hedging your bet and saying, well, my worst case scenario is what I have, so I might as well ask the judge for more time.
0: So don't you think this is just another argument for
1: mediation? 100%. Mediation, I typically tell folks, is an informal process with formal consequences. And what I mean by that is you've removed the judge from the situation, the mediator, who at least in Texas, is a totally neutral third party, oftentimes a former judge, the mediator bounces back and forth between the rooms trying to get a deal made, but it still puts the power in the litigants' hands. So if you want to make a very specific request for a possession schedule that you know a judge won't likely order, it makes sense to settle your case. The judge is because of the amount of cases they hear, have to box everybody in under the same sets of rules. Mediation allows you to make as customized of a schedule as you can within the you know realm of, of reality. If you have a schedule that says, hey, I have a work day-to-day that doesn't provide me the ability to get to and from an exchange at, let's say, 6 p.m., A mediation, you can customize that, say, well, let's do seven, let's do 7.30. Maybe let's do after school, something like that. If you go to trial, the judge is simply gonna look at the law, box you into it and say, have a nice day. Hopefully I don't see you in a few years. So I always suggest if you can customize it at a mediation, do so, because it's unlikely a judge is gonna grant you that favor.
0: Now, I wanna tell the listeners also, If you decide to do mediation, that doesn't mean you can't work with Turner or one of the other attorneys at Varghese Somerset. There's attorney-assisted mediation where Turner can get involved, or you could go to mediation and then give your agreement that you came up with in mediation to Turner or another attorney, and they can read it and say, Mm, I don't really necessarily agree with this. Let's change it. Or they can say, you made a great deal. I feel good about this. So you still get the eyes of a divorce attorney looking over your agreement.
1: That's exactly right. Here in Texas, it's a little unique. I typically tell folks mediated settlement agreements. I often turn them MSAs. MSAs are some of the most binding documents that we do. So even if you don't have a lawyer, if you attend a formal mediation with a licensed mediator here in Texas, and everybody puts pen to paper, if that mediated settlement agreement is subsequently filed with the court, those agreements are binding. And it doesn't matter how good of attorney I am or you may hire, ultimately you may be bound by those agreements that you made. If you have just informally settled with your spouse and you haven't attended mediation, There's potential wiggle room there to undo what has been agreed upon. So mediations, while, in my opinion, fantastic tools to settle a case, it's very important to know, at least here in Texas, how consequential they can be if you do, in fact, sign the dotted line.
0: Texas has all these other different laws that no other states have. No, (laughs) I'm just kidding. You're listening to the Divorced Girl Smiling Podcast with Jackie Pilisoff. Today, I am talking to divorce attorney, Turner Thornton, who is a partner at Varghese Somerset Family Law. And Turner and I are talking about divorce trials. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what to expect in the process if you're headed towards a trial, the length of a trial, how much it's going to cost, how much time it's going to take, and we're going to answer the question of, are divorce trials public in Texas? We'll be right back. We all know that divorce is such a stressful time, and it could take a toll on your health and on your weight. So tell me if this sounds like you. You just are trying so hard to lose weight and you can't. Your doctor doesn't really understand how to help you. No diet is working. You have chronic fatigue and you're stressed all the time. You're getting sick a lot. You have inflammation issues. You are a picky eater and you hate salads and you're just so tired of all these diets. If this is you, I would highly recommend working with Nutritionist and dietitian and health concierge, Leslie Urbis. Leslie is amazing. She's a former military dietitian. I have so much respect for Leslie. She has the best energy. She has all these credentials, and she can help you either in a group or in a one on one setting. And she can help you learn to have a wonderful relationship with food and to stay healthy and to have the body that you want. So, if you want to learn more about Leslie, you can find her at leslieurbis.com or, of course, in the trusted professional section of Divorced Girl Smiling. The next Divorced Girl Smiling trusted professional I want to mention is the wonderful therapy group called Affiliates in Counseling. I have known this group for over a decade. They have offices in Chicago, Naperville, and in Northbrook, and they have such wonderful therapists. I know a lot of them. Each therapist has a different niche, and they help people through divorce. They help kids. They help adults. They help couples. They're just wonderful. Affiliatesandcounseling.net is their website, or you can find them in the Trusted Professional section of Divorced Girls Smiling. Welcome back to the Divorced Girl Smiling podcast. My name is Jackie Pilisoff. I'm your host. Today I am here with divorce attorney Turner Thornton, a partner at Varghese Somerset Family Law. I have to tell you, Turner, everyone I have dealt with at Varghese Somerset could not be any nicer. I think people in Texas are really polite and just professional, and I've had such a wonderful experience. And if you're listening to this and you like what Turner's saying, he works with, correct me if I'm wrong, Turner, four other divorce attorneys in your firm, and they all have different niches, and you can talk to any of them. You can get consultations with all of them if you want to see who's the right fit for you. Let's move on to... There are two types of trials. There's jury trial and a bench trial. For divorce cases, did do, do they do, go to a jury, or is it always a bench trial? Which, by the way, to your to my listeners, a bench trial is when a judge makes the decision.
1: So, in short, a very lawyer answer for the question, it depends. <laughs> I will tell you, in my experience, and I've been doing this over a decade, I have tried exactly one jury trial on a family case everything else has been a bench trial if you want as a litigant to try your case before a jury you absolutely can but understand you're putting your life in the hands of total strangers who may not even understand the law if you do a bench trial while you may not necessarily agree with what the judge ultimately does you can at least feel a little bit better knowing the person who is making the ultimate decision understands the law, and at least is trying to apply that properly to your case. So I won't get into the minutia of what a jury can and cannot do, but understand even if you have a jury trial, some of the issues in your divorce case may not be determined by that jury. A judge still may say some very specifics about what you and your spouse are gonna be doing moving forward.
0: Okay, so two types of trials, but chances are you're gonna get a bench trial. What should people expect in the process? So the first thing you wrote in this article is discovery. And everybody's heard the term, but just give us a brief description of what that actually means.
1: Discovery is the formal exchange of information about a case. So in in lawyer land, that really means we get all up in everybody's business to see both what you have, what you don't have, and why really we're all here discussing the divorce generally. In At least in Texas, and I'm assuming it's probably this way in in most jurisdictions, we do what we call requests for production and inspection. For the litigant, that really means I get to see credit card statements, bank statements, text messages, potential recordings between the parties, both audio and video, essentially anything and everything that may have to do with your case. I tell all of my clients on the front end, even in consultations, assume anything that you have done over the past few years or may do during the divorce process could end up in front of a judge it will help dictate the way that you act speak and present yourself at all times
0: so discovery happens obviously before the trial and then what's a pre-trial motion
1: a pre-trial conference effectively is a motion that's filed with the court where we're asking for a trial date so we will determine when the goal post is officially going to be planted worst case scenario if we're unable to just settle prior to that date you know on that date the judge is going to hear your evidence and make their determination from there it also will establish various deadlines with the court so for example mediation the court's going to force you through that mediation box prior to your final trial and if you don't settle not the end of the world you at least know you still have your trial date on the predetermined date from the court You will also be given a handful of discovery deadlines. So even if you want to exchange information about your case, that's going to be impossible to do, let's say, a week before trial. Because of that, states establish predetermined deadlines based on what the family code in that state states, or the court has the ability to establish predetermined actual dates that slightly vary from what the family code states.
0: So the pre-trial motion, you get your trial date and then really the goal should be to settle before then. But a lot of things can change. It can be on, off, on, off, change, change back, right? But the goal is really for the pre-trial motion, you got a date now. Here are the dates to get this done by, this done by, and then here's your jury, your trial date.
1: Exactly right. And depending on the court that you're in, you may, as a litigant, have to show up to that pretrial conference. If you do, if your judge requires it, it's probably because they want to look you in the eye and tell you, you don't want me, as a judge, to determine what your life looks like. We've got a handful here in Tarrant County, where I practice, that do exactly that for every pretrial conference they have. Because their goal is not to destroy lives. That's not why the judges do their job. Their judge, excuse me, as a judge, their goal is to try to tell litigants, you probably don't want me to only listen to six hours of your side of the story and determine how your children are going to live for the next potential 18 years, let alone how your entire estate, which you worked your whole life to build, is going to be given to your spouse. It can be a really tough pill to swallow for a lot of folks to hear it, but oftentimes it goes a long way in working toward a resolution.
0: So this is interesting. I never realized that judges really want you to mediate. Judges want you to empower yourself to make decisions of what works for the couple and put the anger aside and put all the pettiness aside. And it doesn't matter who cheated on who and they want you to mediate. Now, sometimes judges... They don't, they know they don't have a choice. They're dealing with a very irrational person. And that's what judges want to spend their time on, right? The cases that they know is not possible because there's either one person who's really irrational or it's extenuating circumstances or anything that isn't allowing the couple to come to an agreement themselves.
1: Exactly right. Depending on how long the divorce process has been pending judges can look at a case file and really determine what are we doing here? They have to hear the evidence. They have to to listen to the testimony that is presented. But the reality is most judges can look at a case file and determine why they're there. And if they see that there's been a lot of temporary hearings happening, if there's been depositions, if various discovery has been done, they're most likely going to be able to see it in the case file. And if That's the case if you're going in in front of a judge and a judge has a preconceived notion about you because you've been a vexatious litigant and gone on and on about why the other person is terrible and you are great, while you think that may be helpful, that's not always the case. They may think that you're now the difficult person because you refuse to come to an agreement.
0: I think a lot of people getting divorced want to go to a trial so they can feel heard and they can get it out and they can tell the judge what their ex did and all these horrible things. And what they don't realize is that they're not going to get the time. They're never going to be fulfilled. So it's much better to think of it as a business deal, suck up your pride and your anger for a little bit, get a really good therapist and a divorce coach (laughs) and go to mediation. If you can.
1: I tell potential new clients when I'm in a consultation, you have to decide on what you're buying. If what you are buying is the path of least resistance and trying to keep the most money in your pocket, at least from an attorney's fee standpoint, you have to understand that. But that lives in a different world and in a different reality than having your day in court and putting your spouse up on the stand and making them answer for all they've done. So, going into the process, to some extent, you have to prioritize what you want. Because if what you want is to keep the most money in your pocket, that lives in a totally different world than going to a trial and getting your day in court.
0: Next question, how long does a trial last? What's a typical divorce trial?
1: I almost always ask for one full day. They don't always last that long. You can ask for less time, sometimes two hours or even a half day if the issues are relatively limited. But think of it this way. You may have been married for 20 years and you may have two kids together and you have spent this life both building an estate and building a relationship with your children. And now you're asking a judge for what I will call seven ish hours to listen to testimony from you, testimony from your spouse, potential testimony from various experts, depending on what the complexity of your state looks like, and then determine what your life is moving forward. It sounds like a long time. Oh my gosh, I have to be in front of a judge and talk for three hours. But when you're wrapping up your entire life into effectively a hundred plus minutes of testimony, it's really not that long. The, the buildup process can be months, if not years in the making, and then diluting it to some extent to make it easy for a judge to understand your side of the story can be a tough pill to swallow because you think I've put in so much effort, I've spent so much money, and now the judge is only going to hear you know, a little bit of what I have to say It makes you really rethink do I want to be here or do I not? Do I want my day in court or should I have settled after the fact? Monday morning quarterback, I believe, is the term where you kind of take an assessment after the trial is over and say, Gosh, could I have done something differently? Should I have said this or should I have said that? Everybody's going to feel that way. Your lawyer is going to feel that way. You, as a litigant, are going to feel that way, which is, again, not to focus back on mediation, but it makes it a lot easier to have control over the situation and not be as concerned of did my lawyer do a good job did I present the way I wanted to oh should I have said this instead of saying that it's a lot easier to not do that in a mediation than it is to do it in an actual trial be it a bench or in front of a jury
0: of course so you've got opening statements this is just like any other trial presentation of evidence closing arguments And then if it's a jury, jury deliberation, and then a judge's ruling. Now, Turner, does a judge just decide on the spot like that? Or do they say, oh, I'll let you know tomorrow or next week? How does that work?
1: A judge certainly has the ability to make the decision on the spot. I would say it's probably dependent on whether or not there's children, first and foremost, and the complexity of the estate if there's not children or even if there is. If you know or if your lawyer tells you that your estate is relatively complex, it's more likely than not a judge is going to do what's called taking it under advisement, which is just fancy legal speak for they're going to think about it, look over the evidence and then eventually send you a rendition. That can be tough because then you're on their time. You've gotten your day in court, but you may not be officially divorced yet. I've had cases where we get a rendition the next day. I've had cases in which we don't get a rendition for months. And then you're in this weird, really land about what happens.
0: I've never heard of that. So somebody can have a trial and then they have to wait like months until a judge makes the decision and you just sit there and wait to hear.
1: Exactly right. You will still potentially be living under the prior rules, be it temporary orders or whatever it may be in your jurisdiction. And then you just wait and twiddle your thumbs a little bit until a judge decides, all right, here's what I'm going to do. Again, that tends to happen more for complex estate cases where we're dividing up a bunch of money, potentially selling real property and things of that nature. If kids are involved, they try to get out of rendition, in my experience, sooner rather than later, especially if we're going to be doing things like changing schools or flipping custody.
0: All right, here's a big question. How much does it cost to go to trial? (laughs) It depends.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You already knew where I was headed. I will tell you the, the kind of lawyer joke will be more than you want to spend. Mm-hmm. The reality is when you're going through a, an inventory of the case and you're looking at kind of a cost analysis of whether or not the d- divorce trial is going to be worth it, you need to factor in how much cost you're paying to your actual lawyer. If your estate is, let's say, for example, $100,000, and for me, if I'm your lawyer and you have a one-day trial, that could cost you just in trial fees alone three to four thousand dollars and that doesn't include any of the work that my staff has done to get ready it doesn't include any of the work that i've done personally to prepare for the case so if we're out now all of a sudden 10 000, 15 20000 potentially that's coming right off at of the top of the estate you don't you know pay a dime to chase a nickel and what i mean by that is do an internal inventory and decide should i be paying my lawyer thousands, if not tens of thousand of dollars to go to court when the benefit may only be that same amount that I've paid.
0: Well, I always use my example. This is the best. I once went to post litigation to try to get 2000 from my ex and it cost me 10 to get the two. And then all these other issues came up and I ended up bad, bad move. And that's <laughs> when I learned, I said, wait, what? So I've come a long way. Um, are divorce trials public in Texas and do you know if they are everywhere in the country?
1: Here in Texas, courtrooms are 100% open unless a judge specifically says no. More often than not, they keep it open to the public because it's better PR because you can say, yes, my courtroom is open. Anybody can come see what's going on at any time they desire. That is something to take into consideration when deciding whether or not you want to go forward with it. Because effectively, your job as a lawyer is to put your best foot forward. And by doing that, you may be exposing this other person, their spouse, of all of their bad behavior. Because you need to present that evidence to justify why you're asking for the things that you're asking for. So in my world, that could be drug use. That could be adultery. That could be family violence, God forbid. There are so many things that are Facts that are bad for life, but they're good for litigation. And if you're Pastor Joe and you don't want all your dirty laundry aired, it's probably a good idea to avoid the trial if you can, because it could have a huge hit on the community relationship that you have.
0: And even people knowing what your assets are, knowing that you have a summer home somewhere and you really wanted to keep that kind of quiet, you know, And just the way that you're talking in your testimony, and maybe you break down and you don't want people to know that. So just another argument for mediation. But we understand that there are times where you have to go to trial. You don't have a choice. And for this, I really thank you, Turner, for all this wonderful information. And if you can believe it, we're out of time, but I want to tell my listeners that In this article that Turner wrote on Divorce Girl Smiling, he offers 15 tips for preparing for a divorce trial. That could be our next podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Or you can actually call the offices of Varghese Somerset and set up a consult with Turner or one of the other four divorce attorneys at the firm. So Turner, thank you so much for doing this. This was so helpful. And I know people got a lot out of it.
1: Absolutely. Jackie, thanks so much for having me on. I'm happy to help anytime.
0: And if you want to reach Turner, you can find him at familytexas.com. That's the website for Varghese Somerset family law, or you can find them in the trusted professional section of divorced girl smiling. And if you want to find other trusted vetted professionals, or listen to more podcasts, read articles, download my mobile app, or sign up for my free consult, go to divorcedgirlsmiling.com. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you real soon.